welcome to another edition of the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Today we will be looking at last week's matches in the Copa Libertadores, as well as previewing next week's first leg in the playoff round. I'm your host, Austin Miller. Happy to be with you as always. We've got our best three-aside squad that we could assemble for today's show. We'll start with Simon Edwards in Medellin, Colombia. Simon, have you recovered from the entertainment that was Atletico Nacional nil Deportivo La Guaira nil? Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed it. We can talk about it in a minute, but I thought it was quite good. But people people in Medellin at the moment are bicycle crazy. I know some bicycle race going on. I'm not really interested in that. Uh, but it slightly disrupted my access, my 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 journey to my Sunday league game this weekend, which is my real concern. But people people like bicycles, uh, bicycle mad Medellin right now. So there's that, which is cool, I suppose. It's the big Columbia 2.1 stage race, Simon. And if you would have been paying attention, you would have known <laughs> that Bob Youngle surprised the Peloton today with a big win. And the Luxembourger has the lead as they head to the big weekend in the mountains. Cycling buff, for those of you who maybe didn't recognize it here. Uh, we'll get to Simon in a bit. We've also got Adam Brandon, our Chilean expert in Santiago. Adam, wide-eyed and awake for this week's show? Yeah, just about, but I'm a little bit confused. Are we doing the Libertadores or are we doing the Copper Cycling or something? What's going on? Uh, I could do both of those shows, but we are going to do the Copa Libertadores podcast this week. As Simon mentioned, a nil-nil match in Medellin. If you like nil-nil football matches, this was the week for you. 50% of the Copa Libertadores matches this week ended nil-nil. So a lot of not goals to talk about, but we'll get on to those matches. Let's start with, I think, probably one of the more confusing matches we've seen in the Libertadores over the past couple of years. Atletico Mineiro 3, Danubio 2. The Brazilians had the advantage on away goals after the first leg. We're able to take that and in the end get a tighter than it should have been victory on aggregate against the Uruguayans. After half an hour, it looked as though Atletico Mineiro may go on and just win this competition. That's how good they played. But as the Libertadores often is, they ended up spending the end of that match, Simon, time-wasting and hoping for the final whistle, which they got. And Simon, we still don't know if Danubio were any good, but this match was was quite bizarre. Yeah, it was a weird one. I was very, very, as you say, very, very impressed by Minero. Um, the crowd were giving it their olés, olés, as they were passing it around, little tricks, flicks it through their legs. And it looked like they just score every single time they attacked. They were just having so much fun out there. Took a 3-0 lead pretty early on. Um, you know, well-deserved as well on the run of play. And, and they just looked like there was no way that Danubia could hang with this attacking, passing, three-flowing, fluid Monero side. Everything. It's, it's like watching Brazil, as we used to say, uh, and until we realized that that isn't always a, a good thing. Um, but very, very impressive on Monero. Very, very good performance uh, in attack Oliveira was was quick was was burning burning the Uruguayan defense and ripping them to shreds um it, it was all going their way and the crowd was absolutely loving it then Danubio got a penalty I think it was a penalty um it was a little bit of a, a contentious one the, the the Danubio player goes to header it the Monero player goes to volley it and he kind of volleys him in the head Dangerous play, you could say, uh, out of nowhere, just before half time, and then they go in at 3-1, and you think, well, you know, nothing to worry about. Minero have been miles better. Two nil, two goals ahead. Shouldn't be a, shouldn't be a problem. They can just come out the second half and, and play their enjoyable football again. We're going to have a, have, a fun, have a fun game. And then suddenly, 57 minutes, the Nubia scored a, an incredible goal from distance, fired straight into the top corner from 35 yards, uh, Siles, uh, and we had a game. And from then on, Minero looked panicked. The crowd was shell-shocked. Everyone was was thinking what's going to happen now. The Nubia never really looked into the game until this point, but 3-2, 30 minutes to go, we might as well, we might as well have a go. And they really did. Minero went from uh, playing some wonderful creative football to just panicking and, and diving and wasting time and... <laughs> The whole mood in the stadium completely changed. It was a, a fascinating one. What did you think, Austin? Yeah, first of all, that for half an hour that we saw from Atletico Mineiro to open up this match was, I think, the best half an hour I've seen in the Libertadores from any one side in recent memory. They looked so good. Uh, the opening goal, Juan Cazares was, was spinning the ball all over the pitch, uh, stung the goalkeeper's hands, and then Elias nodded home. 
And then as you alluded to, Ricardo Oliveira turning back the clock with a couple of fantastic runs to beat defenders. Uh, Ricardo Oliveira is, is still good, but he, he probably shouldn't be beating defenders for pace at this point in his career. But he did, and they were 3-0 up, and it looked as though they might go on and score 5 or 6 in this match. Um, and then as you said, Simon, everything just turned. I think Mineta will be happy to get through, particularly the way that this tie ended. Simon, they had multiple opportunities to kill this tie off. They probably should have been done and dusted after the first leg. They should have had it done and dusted after half an hour. And they let Danubio back in. And I think if they continue to play in that style, it might not cost them in the next round. Whereas we'll get to it in a bit. They'll face a defensive sporting side that are, are pretty challenged themselves. But if you continue to allow teams to get back in matches, it's going to cost you at some point in the competition. So they, I guess they did well enough to get through here. But but Simon, this should have been a lot easier than it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they went from being very, very enthusiastic and, and as you say, playing some amazing football and looking like they were really up for putting on a good performance and getting the win and very determined to them being a little bit complacent and then very quickly being panicked when they conceded to go 3-2 to 3-2 uh, to ahead. They shouldn't have been. If they kept playing, if they kept pinning Danubio back, they would have scored again and Danubio would have collapsed. Um, so I think as as good as Minero was, there is a question of character, uh, the way they manage this game. Obviously, they sort of saw it out, but to, to put themselves under a little bit of pressure and then suddenly fall back into time-wasting and, and petulant little things, pushes and... And getting into the to the fights that that played into Danubio's hands, Danubio were the underdogs away from home in Brazil. They were they were shell shocked and they were blown apart by Mineiro in the first thirty. But when Mineiro was shook and and panicking, that played into their hands. It allowed them to play some psychological games and to slow things down and speed things up. And and it took the control of the game, which had been completely in the hands of Brazil, took it out of their hands and, and made it a tie that suited them and. In the end, Monero last 20 minutes, fair enough, did the job well, got it done. They had a few counters. Jimmy Chado as well looked quite good on the counter-attack. But this shouldn't have been a game after 30 minutes. It should, it should have been a, 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 you know, a, a show. They should have put on a show for the fans who were in loud voice and absolutely loving it. So obviously a bit of misfortune um, with the penalty and it was a long-range effort out of nowhere. But, you know, Monero really need to be a bit more tough and, and a bit more professional um, to, to kind of see out these games in a more effective way because this shouldn't have been a tie at all. And very quickly, Simon, a word on the Uruguayans, Danubio, who really could have called it quits at a lot of different points during this tie. They were behind twice in the first leg before battling back to a draw. They were down 3-0 here, but had the foresight and had the strength to, to fight back. I think they deserve a bit of credit for that. Obviously, they showed that they are a very limited side, particularly just from a, a talent standpoint when it comes to Atletico Mineiro. Um, but Mendes, the, the manager of Danubio, ha- has to be proud of, of the effort that his side put in over this tie. I think they acquitted themselves fairly well. Yeah, because at 3-0 down, and also there's a, there's a point as well about being fresh and prepared. I think Danubio, the, the way the season works, kind of makes, the, makes it tricky for them in these early Libertadores stages. And it did look like they were off the pace to begin with. So to hang in there and to be on top at the end of the game is impressive. I do think the quality let them down a bit. They had some really good crossing opportunities and, and the cross wasn't there or they delayed it. Uh, they, they definitely had the chance at the end to, to equalise and to, to put themselves through in this tie, which is incredible. Um, but uh, but yeah, definitely credit because after 30 minutes, many, many teams would have given up. Obviously, the penalty gave them renewed hope and, and events in the pitch did give them the opportunity. But they definitely took that as much as they could and, and they definitely put on a good show and, and worked very hard to, to make this a real uh, interesting tie. We'll get on to Atletico Mineiro's next opponent in a bit. But let's shift now to a match that was the only tie that ended in penalties in this round. And that was in Medellin, Independiente Medellin, one Palestino one, with the Chilean side, Adam, going through on some well-taken penalties. Deserved over the two legs for you? Yes, I think it I think it was very much deserved. Um, this was one of the best uh, performances away from home from the Chilean side in the Libertadores in recent years. Um, very professional. Um, m- carrying on really from, from how they 
started the first leg where they just seemed more focused and more um, and more up for it really than their Colombian opponents. Um, they had numerous chances in the first half. Jimenez, the probably the the best player on the park over, over the two games, um, a player that that's been you know playing in Serie A for for many years, and then. He had a short spell at West Ham and, and then he was in the Middle East for a bit. His class really shone through for me over the two legs. And, and he hit a bar with a header. And then moments after that, just before half time, he was yeah, he was finally rewarded with a goal um, about on the 40th minute, I think it was actually. Um, he, he managed to break the dim offside trap and then he slid on the ball to beat the keeper to it. The keeper actually blocked it. Somehow, but fortunately for 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 the Chileans, the ball kind of rebounded off Jimenez and uh, and into the net. That goal, though, did actually seem to finally spring Dim into life. Um, they they missed an absolute sitter before they did eventually score, which was right on the halftime whistle. Um, bit of a goalkeeping error from the uh, from the Palestino goalkeeper there. Um, and, and, and that was 1-1 at half-time. Of course, it finished 1-1 in the first leg as well. So, you know, both teams had to manage the second half, whether they whether they went for it or not, or they played for penalties. Now, I think this is where Palestino deserve real credit because I think most teams away from home in this circumstance would play for penalties. But to their credit, Palestino just carried on really. They they gave it as good as they got. They had opportunities. So did so did Dim. And yeah, I think in the end Palestino probably deserved it deserved to win in the uh, one hundred and eighty minutes. But yeah, in the end I think what I mentioned earlier about them being sort of more focused and better prepared for this tie, I think that shone through during the penalty shootout where they stuck all their penalties away whilst um, whilst whilst Dim what how did how many did they miss? I think I think three of their three of their four, didn't they? So yeah, it was uh it was an impressive performance from Palestino, who now face an even tougher test in the in the third qualifying round. We come on to that in a bit. Yeah, for me, uh, Medellin, very disappointing. A lot of the talk here in Colombia after the game, Cano said that uh, the 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 Medellin were lacking hierarchia. They were lacking uh, heart and hard work and commitment and and there was definitely a fact that was definitely a factor. But I think tech, uh, tactically, they came out very very defensive. They were looking to see out the game and and it it really was disappointing that they didn't you know have a more progressive approach. I also think that the squad that they put together relies on the individual talents of two or three players. Rico Ate, I think, did well over the two legs, but he's the only guy in midfield who can pass the ball. Leonardo Castro is still finding his feet and finding his role. He's he's dangerous, but he's a little inconsistent. Herman Cano is great around the penalty box. And then everything is just behind the ball. It's ball winning. It's trying to get the fullbacks forward. So I don't think that that was the reason Medellin lost this game. Obviously, you know, a bit more... A bit more heart, a bit more uh, commitment would have would have helped to a factor, but I think setting up a team that can keep the ball, can attack, can be can be dominant is is more important in in the in the grand scheme of things. Also, get to penalties and Cano isn't taking one. Also, is a big question for me whether it was Cano didn't want one or they weren't prepared. But the penalties are terrible. Again, maybe that's bad planning on their part because you know some teams still believe it's best to leave your best penalty taker to last. But anybody who's ever studied the subject knows that it's best to put your best player on penalties, you know, first on penalties. So, yeah, again, that kind of refers to my point where they just didn't look focused across the two legs for me compared to Palestine. No, and it was a system and they were basically playing five at the back and that's a system they haven't played for the last year and a half. So to try and be too cute, to try and, you know, think, you know, have some intricate tactical uh, changes to, to 
just just play some football. Just keep the ball. Just you know, the quality of attacking players that Medellin have. You know, we're going to talk about Nacional, but Nacional have the complete opposite problem. But Medellin have good forwards. So play to that strength. Get get players forward. Get on the ball. Use it. Get get use the qualities you have. Don't just try and cover up some 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 a lack of in, you know, security and go too deep. So for me, I was just very disappointed because I thought that Medellin would have done well in this tournament using the quality of forwards that they have and, and they just really didn't and uh, yeah disappointing disappointing from from a Medellin perspective and Barristino's 4-1 win on penalties means they will face Talleres in the next round and Austin I believe that you saw the year is is uh, 2-0 aggregate victory over Sao Paulo the second leg being 0-0 in Brazil, it seemed like the Argentines took a, quite a few thousand fans, fanatical fans there to Sao Paulo for the game. And, and that looked about the highlight of this whole match. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I don't think there was too much to report beyond that. By the end of the match, it was only the Argentines that you could hear um, chanting along with, with every play. This was dire stuff at, at times for sure. And just another poor showing from Sao Paulo. And it's... As we predicted on last week's show, a poor result here in Sao Paulo are kind of right back to square one, which is a square that they've been at multiple times over the past couple of years. Uh, Manager Andre Jardin was reassigned to a different post in the club. It hasn't been made known what post that will be yet, uh, but he'd been an assistant coach for a long time. Finally got a chance as the permanent manager and isn't going to make it much beyond 10 games in charge. Kuka, who was so successful at Palmeiras a few years back, will take over Sao Paulo after a couple of months, he needs to get his health in order. Uh, so Wagner Mancini will take over in the interim. Regardless, the end of the story is that Sao Paulo needing to score didn't ever really look capable of scoring in this tie, particularly in the second leg. The football was was uninspired. It, it, it didn't do much to create chances. It wasn't like they wasted a lot of chances or it, it wasn't as though Herrera, the Talleres goalkeeper, had a lot to do. Sao Paulo just didn't really threaten. Um, Sao Paulo had one chance on about half an hour played. Diego Sosa had a, a free header that he couldn't put on target. And then with about 85 minutes played, they Nene put it in the back of the net, but it was flagged off for offside. It looked like he was off. And, and other than that, they really didn't create much. They spent most of the match kind of dribbling around the midfield and shooting from 25 or 30 yards, which was never really going to trouble Tyeris and never really going to put this match in question. And uh, it wouldn't be a Sao Paulo exit from continental competition without another red card. So now 14 red cards in their last 16 international matches. Everton picking this one up with 80 minutes played. He was already on a yellow card and then actually picked up a straight red card because he put his boot right into the face of a Tayeris player and, and caused a lot of blood. So Tayeris are through and on the evidence deservedly so. They didn't really have to do much in this match to see it out. I thought they were pretty compact. They gave Sao Paulo shots from distance, which Sao Paulo were, were never really going to trouble them from. Um, Guignasu was a, was a player that really impressed me in the first leg. He was good again here. I think Dairo Moreno is, is a big addition um, for a club of Tayeris' stature to have a player of, of that quality. Yes, maybe Dairo Moreno has had his ups and downs, but on his day, he's still a really good striker in South America. And I think he kind of puts this, this squad maybe a, a touch over where they could have been, you know, with just a generic striker from another side. So I think this Tayeris side are quite good, and, and they'll be, I think, favored over Palestino in the playoff round. Would you agree, Adam? Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, I think uh, I think you have to make the Argentines favorites against, um, against a small Chilean club like Palestino, I think. Uh, but having said that, I, d- I don't think you can completely rule Palestino out. Um, given their performance over there in Colombia. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tie I'm really looking forward to seeing. The first leg is in Cordoba. And, uh, and as long as I would say Palestino aren't more than two goals down, I, I think there will be some hope for the second leg. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an intriguing 
uh, tie. And I like this Toyota side. I like what they've done, and I think they'd be a great addition to the group stage. Adam, we were actually talking during the week that, and as we'll get to as this podcast goes on, we lost a lot of big names in Libertadores in this round, and, and maybe not huge names, but good atmospheres, good stories. I think Tayeres are, are one of the stories going forward that we could see kind of gain some momentum as this competition goes on. Yeah, they could, they, they, they could well be. You know, It reminds me a little bit of uh, uh, Man in in sort of the last couple of editions, you know, that fanatical support, uh, a more provincial club. So, yeah, I, I think they've got a lot going for them. But if, if they can get past Palestino, then, yeah, I fancy that they can certainly have a bit of a run in this competition. Let's move then, Adam, from one nil-nil draw to another nil-nil draw, the second of four in this week of matches. In Santiago, Universidad de Chile, nil, Melgar, nil, and that result sends Melgar through 1-0 on aggregate via their goal from the first leg. Adam, a missed penalty in that first leg for Lau, and then some chances in this second leg that, that kind of went awry, and at the end of the day, that has them out of the Copa Libertadores, and it's a bit of a shock. Yes, uh, I think I mentioned on the last Libertadores pod that we did that, you know, that penalty could come back, that penalty miss could come back to haunt them, and, and that's exactly what's come to pass. Having said that, they still had 90 minutes um, at home to do something about it. It was only a one-goal deficit. They, they had to claw back, and they didn't really create that much for me. And I found the football that they played to be really, really poor in, in quality. Um, I think questions have to be asked of Gudelka, their Argentine coach, um, because this was a performance really lacking in in attacking cohesion. Now, they have many new players, so it's understandable from that point of view, but still the, the tactics around their, around their attempt to get back in this game were, were really quite one-dimensional. It was basically, you know, as soon as they got the ball, they, a few sort of easy lateral passes, and then they would it finally make its way up to the wing. Bossayor or Rodriguez would try and swing a cross in. That would get blocked or cleared and then repeat. You know, so sometimes I was thinking, you know, are, are they just replaying the last sort of couple of minutes? It, it, they just had no variation to, to, to their attacking play at all. It was so predictable and so easy for Melgar to, to deal with. Um, credit to the Peruvians for keeping two clean sheets across the tie. Um, and uh, and they've certainly improved on when we saw them last year at this stage against uh, Santiago Wanderers. However, I think that a lot of this result was more to do with Universidad de Chile's failure to to make the best of, 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 of what they've got rather than Melgar producing some kind of really heroic display to upset the favourites. It was just, yeah, it was, I guess it could be a mix of the two. But yeah, for me, this was just a really, really poor Universidad de Chile side, badly coached and, uh, and probably with one too few many players in that starting lineup to, to form any real cohesion to the side and, and they were really missing creativity now they lost Jefferson Seldado of course um, over to Santos over winter and uh, yeah I think uh, I think that's the biggest miss for this Lewis side having watched them over the two legs it'd be interesting to see if they can improve their cohesion as the season goes on and the interesting thing about this Melgar side, Adam, is, is as we move on to our next match, the side that they'll face in the playoff round is certainly not one that you would expect to, to trouble them greatly. And that's Caracas, who a nil-nil result against Delphine sends the Venezuelans through to the playoff round on an away goal that they picked up in the first leg. Simon deserved for Caracas? Yes. I don't think they were anywhere near as talented as Delphine, but as a group... 
they did very, very well to get the result. Uh, this Delphine side is really good. Uh, Rojas was very good. Odonios, we've seen, is a, is a great player. Noboa in midfield can pass it well. Caicedo is very good. This is honestly has the ingredients. Nazareno as well, the fullback's very good at getting forward. This is the ingredients of being a, a kind of breakout force in this year's competition, but it's come to a screeching halt because of a very impressive Caracas display. Uh, the first 20 minutes was wide, wide open, end-to-end. Uh, Delphine playing with a lot of flair. Caracas more more efficient in their in their attacks, but but direct and making things happen. Um, and then it kind of settled down, and, and then Caracas kind of found, found a footing in the game, um, played out the kind of match they were more likely to win. You can't really play open against this Delphine side because they've got pace and they've got quality. But as they settled down, they they really started getting going, and uh, and they looked very good, very organised. Uh, Alan Baroja in goal was very very impressive, both in his goalkeeping displays and then later on his very very well thought out intricate time wasting displays, actively looking to get into a bit of an argument every time the ball went out of play, um, so that they could waste some time. He was very good at that, um, but. Overall, this wasn't a win defined by the time-wasting or any dirty tactics. This was just a very compact, solid Caracas who maintained a, an attacking threat, which meant that Delphin had to be careful to remain in the tie. Delphin, obviously, with a dominant force looking for that winning goal. They couldn't find it because of a of an impressive display. So it's a real shame to lose Delphin because I think they could have put on a real show and they did in the previous qualifying round, uh, albeit against not the strongest of opposition. Um, so full credit to Caracas. They weren't the superior side, but they played a very, very good game. Lots of credit to the manager as well. He really set them out nicely. And, you know, sometimes sometimes the better team goes out and sometimes you just have to give credit to the, to the winners. And in this case, Caracas deserved plenty of credit. They did the best with what they had. And they they got a good uh, win over the two legs and away goals. And Simon, could you see this Caracas side then moving past Melgar to get into the group stage? Uh, it would be a tough ask once they got to the group stage. But it's not as though Melgar are a better side on paper than Delphine were. No, uh, it will all just come down to the way the two sides approach it. I think Caracas responded well to... They knew what they had with Delphine. They knew that they couldn't allow themselves to be exposed one-on-one because there's really, the likes of Rojas, there's really not many players in South America who are as good as he is one-on-one. Uh, the right-back Ferreira for Delph- uh, Caracas got booked on 20 minutes and I was I was sure he was getting sent off because I just couldn't see how he'd stop Rojas. Rojas ended up playing more central and that probably saved uh, Ferreira until he got substituted. So... They did very well to combat what was quite an obvious approach from Delphin. Delphin were going to back themselves to go one-on-one with the opposition and beat them, pull into the box and score. Caracas neutralised that threat very well. Melgar will obviously ask them different questions. Uh, we'll have to see if they're as offensive and, and as direct as, uh, as Delphin were at driving the opposition. Um, it will be a very different challenge. I think Caracas won't approach this uh, as much as the underdogs as they did against Delphin, because you know Delphin is a club that people don't know particularly. But honestly, they've got a lot of very good players, and it is a shame we won't see more of them. But uh, Caracas did a very good job. We'll have to see. It will come down to tactics. It will come down to collective play. I don't see a great deal of individual talent in this Caracas side, but I do see a good, well-managed unit, good goalkeeper, uh, and some intelligent attacking players as well. So I think they're a good, good side but without a great deal of individual quality. So we'll have to see. Adam, it almost feels like in hearing Simon talk that we're almost getting mirror images playing each other in this playoff round in Caracas and Melgar. Um, Teams that maybe didn't have as much talent in this previous round, but got through with some good organization, a moment or two of brilliance. Do do you have anything to add on this playoff tie between Caracas and Melgar? Um, It's probably one I'm not going to move my diary around too much to catch um, over the two legs. No offence to the two sides involved. Um, but, yeah, I, d- I don't foresee many goals um, across the two legs. I think it's going to be quite tight, and I think whoever does get through um, will probably struggle quite a bit once they get to the group stage. But, um, but yeah, if, if you force me to pick a winner, then... From the bits I've seen, I think uh, I think I'm just edging towards the Venezuelan side. Caracas, the 
to to sneak it over over the two games. Simon, that sounded like Adam was pulling rank on you, and you were going to get assigned this tie for the next round. That's fine. That's fine. I, I can find I can find value in these ties. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the work that Caracas uh, did in this game. See, people think I'm just all about the exuberant playmakers, but. Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm growing in my in my age. I'm going to appreciate some of these these smart, hardworking, tough tackling teams. Must be my English English background. Simon, we'll move from a nil nil that featured maybe <laughs> some of your tough tackling to the match that gave us the most goals in this round. Although they were all on one side, Libertad five, the strongest one. It's the Paraguayans through to the playoff rounds. Uh, the last I saw of this match, Simon, it was 1-1 heading towards halftime, and I thought penalties could be on offer. And then Libertad had quite the second half, and, and our friend Martinez, who Tom told us the great story last week about the background of Adrian Martinez, he must have been listening on the podcast and wanted to get talked about a bit more because a hat trick for him and, and Libertad are through in, in flying colors. Yes, uh, I don't think 5-1 is anywhere near a representation of this game as uh, overall. Um, but a lot of credit is due for Paraguay. They did put on a good second-half performance. One all at half-time felt about right. I think Libertad were on top. Um, it, it was uh, Machado uh, equalised uh, for the strongest uh, to make it one all at half-time. It was, it was a pretty standard, you know, what you'd expect. The strongest playing some decent stuff. Libertad at home having a bit of the edge, but it being quite even. And then in the second half, everything went crazy. And everything really went wrong that could go wrong for the strongest in this game, to be honest. So I, I was impressed by um, Libertad, but uh, it, was a, it was a bit of a strange game. It, it, it definitely didn't feel like a 5-1 for, for most of it. So 2-1, they scored. Uh, the 2-1, the, the, the goal to put them ahead was a weird one. It was a cross that came in. It looked like a very simple cross to take. Between the defender and the goalkeeper, they kind of messed it up. And it fell to Martinez, the header, into an open net. Then 3-1 again came from a free kick and a red card, which was, I don't think it was a free kick or a yellow card for Ortiz, who then was sent off. And this, again, we're talking the 70, 75th minute to make it 3-1. The free kick was hit, kind of broke free. Again, Martinez the quickest to pounce, firing into an open net. And then 4-1, uh, the fourth goal from Libertad was uh, Cardoso from inside his own half, out of nowhere. Incredible strike from the big number nine. He'd had a really good game as well in linking the play. He was very much the focal point for a lot of the good that Libertad did. Hit a really nice strike from inside his own half, over the goalkeeper, into the top corner. And the keeper had to be thinking, this just really isn't my day. Nothing's, nothing's going well. And then 5-1, another spectacular goal, Asel, from outside the box, outside of the foot, curled it, really, really nice finish. May have even been better than the, the goal from inside his own half by Cardoso. Really nice, a nice goal by Kogel, uh, the Uruguayan, and it was a 5-1 win. Honestly, it, it everything went wrong for the strongest. Um, Bolivians, away from altitude, was always going to be a bit of a challenge, but one all at half time was about right. Five one at full time was a bit crazy. Lots of bad luck from the strongest, but an impressive win for Libertad. They've got a side, as you've as we said previously, with a lot of experience. Cardoso really, really runs the line very nicely. They've got Magnelli Torres back coming back in, Alex Mejia. So it's going to be a big, big challenge for for Nacional, and uh, it will be interesting to see. As you said, Simon, this Libertad team is is really interesting. I like a lot of the players. Martinez is, is a fantastic story, as, as Tom mentioned on last week's show. Cardoso is is always a Libertadores legend. And, and this is a really interesting Libertad side, and, and I'm glad to see them go through, even if the result maybe wasn't as, as fair as it could have been. And for Libertad, Simon, as I stick with you, as you alluded to, they'll face Colombian side in 2016 Libertadores champions Atlético Nacional in the playoff round, who ground out a nil-nil result against competition debutantes Deportivo La Guaira. Over the two legs, Simon, Nacional did enough to go through, only just. They didn't inspire a ton of confidence, did they? No, well, I mean, I was in the stadium, so I could appreciate some of the good things they did. 
And on one hand, they had the first and second most passes of any team in the Libertadores so far over these two games they played. But uh, yeah, they they really, really struggled in front of goal. Good, Some good things. Palacios and Machado at fullback, good getting forward. Cuadrado didn't really do anything in goal, but that's a good thing as well. Uh, Nicolas Hernandez uh, looks more and more confident every game. The very young centre-back. Bocanegra looks all right as a centre-back. He's doing quite well. Good in the ball, at least, playing out. Gomez and Rivera, DMs, again, passing it very nicely. So all of that was good. This sounds like my review of Colombia U20 as well. Um, but, but they really used the ball well up until the final third. And then they really struggled. Vladimir Hernandez was probably the most likely of the attacking midfield three. Uh, Ramirez struggled a little bit to have an impact, got subbed at halftime. Barcos, the striker, was very, very good at bringing it down. Very good at playing and working the spaces, playing through balls. But he didn't have the legs to then get in the box. So he would he would bring it down, free up, find space for the likes of Candelo or Hernandez to get in behind. Uh, Nacional on another day win this game 5-0. I was impressed with some aspects, but there's a huge concern. In the stadium, the feeling was people were appreciative of the passing and the, the triangles and passing their way out of trouble and working the spaces. But there was a growing frustration that 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes, five or six very easy chances that weren't taken. And I can see Nacional really going toe-to-toe with Libertad. Libertad. They look fairly comfortable, although this obviously is a very poor Venezuelan side they were facing. Defensively, very comfortable on the ball, but can they put the ball in the net? Libertad just scored five. Nacional couldn't score past the Venezuelan side. So you would say advantage Libertad, but I do think that this Nacional team can still play football with the ball. Uh, I was with some foreigners who'd seen Medellin game and seen the Nacional side. They said Nacional on the ball were, were 10 times better, but Medellin have strikers and, and Nacional don't. Although Barcos was impressive, he hasn't found his scoring boots yet for Nacional. So there's plenty of questions. They're still a good footballing side, but do they have the potency in attack? And are they still vulnerable in defence? That is the big question they have to answer in the next few weeks. I like Aaron Barcos a lot as a player, Simon. But it almost felt like to me, and, and you and I were talking pre-pod about this, that he was almost being asked to do too much in his role in this side, in that he was dropping back to help in the build-up play and was good on the ball. He just doesn't have the legs to then move from that position to a more dangerous forward position, and nobody else for Nacional was really sliding in to, to fill that role when he did drop back. Yeah, I mean, Ramirez, or uh, they, they changed him as well at halftime and brought on uh, uh, Seppellini. So they had players who were in that position, um, and the number 10 for, for Nacional, whether it was Ramirez or Cepelini, did often play alongside Barcos when he dropped off, and they were going beyond him. But Nacional have to decide what they want. I think Barcos is probably, on his day, the guy who's going to finish these chances for Nacional. So do you want him to sacrifice the good build-up play he and the, the opportunities created or to, to get in the box, or do you value that so much that you'll rely on those around him to finish? It's a difficult balance because he did play very, very well last night. But you'd expect him to be in the box on the end of a few of these chances and, and tucking some away. So there's definitely still work to be done for Nacional. They're, they're one or two players short of having a function, functioning attack, although they did move the ball nicely at times and, and they did create some very good chances. And at times I could see the 2016 team but it was it was the 2016 without Magnelli Torres, without the clinical finishing, without the the spirit. You know, the the ghost lives on, but it isn't quite the same. So there's some good signs. They're still a good footballing team, but they they just need to find a way to put the ball in the net, and they're going to be tested more defensively still. Simon, you mentioned that they might be a player or two away in the attack. Ironically enough, the side that they face in the next round, Libertad has that player probably in McNally Torres. So that should be an interesting storyline as these two sides get set to clash. Yeah, exactly. I mean, McNally Torres uh, and Alex Mejia are kind of the faces of that 2016 team, which is going to go down as legendary as with the 89 team in, in Nacional. So, yeah, there, there's going to be some divided loyalties. There's going to be a lot of people in the stadium with a McNally Torres shirt, but it's going to be a green and white shirt, as the same with Alex Mejia. So it's going to be a weird one because 
if Nacional had Magnelli, I think a lot of fans would feel a lot more comfortable about where they are right now. Uh, and there's really no reason they shouldn't have him because, you know, they let him go on out on loan to Cali and then let him go very, very cheaply because he didn't fit with the previous manager's plans. But, uh, you know, some players' reputations and prestige kind of outlives a manager. Uh, and Nacional opted for for the manager over the player and maybe they're going to regret that a little bit now, but, but we'll see. It should be an interesting game. I think there'll be some good football on display, but I think Libertad strength of character and clinical finishing puts them as the favorites at this point. Adam Libertad Atletico Nacional, will you clear your diary for this one? Yeah, I actually, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's possibly uh, the most interesting of the uh, of the four ties, um, as Simon says, there's you know there's some interesting you know going back home narratives there as well. So I think that from everything Simon told me, I think I slightly fancy the the, the Paraguayans here. Um, Simon seems far com- far from convinced about Atletico Nacional over the, over the past year or so, uh, whilst Libertad. Yeah, fairly decent in Libertadores, and, and when 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 they usually get their chance and they're invested in the squad well, so so yeah, I'm, I'm edging towards the the Paraguayans this tie. I think one more match for us to break down from this week, and it was Barcelona one, Defensor Sporting nil, which was a good enough result to send the Uruguayans through to the playoff round via their three nil win from the first leg that was given to them in administration. Uh, Barcelona player Sebastian Perez, Conable ruled, were, was not registered in time. Players have to be registered 24 hours before the first match of the competition. That was not the case with Sebastian Perez. So Barcelona's 2-1 win away from home in Montevideo was wiped away. It was 3-0 to Defensor Sporting. On last week's show, Simon said that even if it was 3-0, he still gave Barcelona a chance. And it was pretty clear that they were the better side over these two legs, but they just didn't quite have enough in this second leg to bring it home. Uh, A rainstorm in Guayaquil before the match, I think, kind of did them in. It made the ball pretty tough to move, and so Barcelona weren't able to to play those quick passing movements that maybe they would have been looking for. There were occasions where where their their pacey wingers were leaving the ball behind in a puddle because they overran it. wasn't the most interesting match you'll see in this Libertadores. Uh, a win for Barcelona on the night. They showed their talent. Uh, the goal from Oyola was, was really nicely done. Right on halftime, the defensive sporting goalkeeper came out to punch, uh, and it fell right to Oyola. And with the goalkeeper then still out, he kind of looped it over him. A really well-taken goal. And from there, he thought, okay, maybe Barcelona will, will kick on and, and get another couple goals and, and make a tie of this. But in the second half, they just didn't quite have enough ideas. Uh, they passed it around. It would get picked off. They, they'd go wide. They looked across it in. It, it'd get headed away. And it kind of felt like they waited a bit too long to, to throw everybody forward. The final 10 minutes, they were able to create a couple of chances. But before that, they were really stagnant. And, and that cost them. Well, actually, what cost them, Adam, was an administration error that saw Barcelona out of this competition. Despite being the better side, it's fair to say, over the two legs. Yeah, I, I found that... <laughs> Particularly frustrating. Um, after all the admin errors we saw in the competition last year, and I wrote an article about it when uh, and I touched. I wrote an article about when Comable moved to Libertadores final to Madrid last year, and I and I touched briefly on this subject where I was not happy with the way that Comable kind of. Through this system, through their current system of player legibility, they basically wash their hands of kind of any responsibility. Um, but it's their competition, you know. This is the this is the most important competition uh, Commonwealth have at, at, at club level, and for me to make it the best they possibly can, they have to have a system where. To avoid issues such as this, where they have a system where you can flag up before a game when the if the squads are submitted to to common ball before the game, which must happen, then surely there's a system in place there in common ball to flag up any players who aren't eligible to to play in the match and advise the teams beforehand. 
not go through this whole system of like whether the opposition team can work out whether a player was eligible or not and then appeal it afterwards. Let's try and get a system in place where you know this is flagged up beforehand, not after. And after last year, I was hopeful and possibly very naive that that Commonwealth would be looking to do something like that because already this year's competition, you know, has a has a black mark against it, and I really feel that the wrong side has gone through um, over these two legs as I did last year with the Sudamericana game between Tomoko and San Lorenzo. You know, there was a clearly a better side over the two legs in that one, and there was a clearly a better side in the two legs over this one, um, a legible player or not. So, yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's really disappointing and really frustrating. Well, and it's interesting, Adam, because a couple of years back, I believe this was in 2017, when Chapecoense were in the group stage of the Copa Libertadores, there was an incident just like this where a player was flagged ahead of time as being ineligible and Chapecoense chose to then continue to play that player and they argued that, well, we'll win in court if it is appealed and they didn't end up winning in court and were docked that result. But that type of a system certainly does seem to be more intuitive and I think more beneficial for the competition than, as you said, teams being trusted to kind of handle their own eligibility questions because, as we've seen, they haven't been very good at that. Yeah, because, yeah, it goes back to it does not reflect well on Commable. Um, you know, they, they can dish out the punishments all they want, but ultimately this is their competition. And uh, and at the moment, the right teams aren't getting through. And and the reason, and partly the reason for that is is poor administration from the clubs. But also, I think... Commonwealth need to accept some responsibility as well. Simon, looking at Defensor Sporting, they will now face Atletico Mineiro in the final playoff tie that we haven't yet previewed. We talked about Mineiro earlier on the show. It's kind of the same sort of formula that we saw in their in their initial round, isn't it? Danubio, Defensor Sporting, a lot of similarities between those two sides. You have to favor the Brazilians to go through. Yeah, it's an interesting one because you know we expected with the second leg, uh, having lost 2-1, uh, in the first leg, we would expect them to come out and have to attack, and maybe we'd see a different side of Defensor. Um, but it, given what happened with the decision, uh, when it, having the 3-0 win, all they had to do was defend a 3-0 win. We only saw them attack for maybe 10 minutes at home. Um, when they finally conceded, after putting up a spirited defence, they finally conceded against uh, against Barcelona, and then Navarro scored from the halfway line, and Again, that changed the complexion of the tie. Barcelona went on the attack and they defended fairly well. And then a, an individual error or two meant that they conceded. So we've only seen them make some, uh, a couple of, you know, look fairly solid in defence, make a couple of um, defensive mistakes that have led to goals. And then we've seen them score from the halfway line. I don't imagine they'll get through this tie scoring from the halfway line. Maybe they'll get some more admin. Um, that could be plan B. But we haven't seen what they can really offer in attack yet. So I don't hold out a great deal of hope from what I've seen so far. But again, it's a very weird situation because they didn't have to attack in either of these two games to to win. They could they could just lose twice and get through. So we'll have to see. Uh, I don't hold out a great deal of hope, but I, you know they're organised. They'll make it difficult. And if uh, Navarro can, can score again from the halfway line, then maybe they'll have a chance. You paint a, a pretty hopeful picture here for defensive sporting. Score from halfway. If that doesn't work, get an administrative error, and then you're through. Yeah, okay. All right, easy enough. Adam, for you, Atletico Mineiro, the clear favorites here? Yes, yeah, so I, I, think, I think you have to make them favorites, especially as, you know, defense probably shouldn't even be um, in, the, in this round. So, yeah, um, I think... Uh, I think all things considered, uh, the, the Brazilians will make this through relatively easily. I think probably learning some lessons from their previous tricky encounter against the Uruguayan side. Getting a 3-1 win with having about three shots on goal is pretty impressive. It's efficiency. You've got to go give them that. <laughs> exactly. Adam, both of you two, having watched so much Libertadores, just assume that a Brazilian side are going to learn lessons from the round before and are all of a sudden going to approach this tie differently. I think we're probably going to see the same Atletico Mineiro that will get through, but not as easy as it should have been. 
Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. You're probably right there. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the South American Football Show. I'll come quickly to the guys to see if they have anything to plug. Simon, you first. Where can the listeners find you on Twitter? Uh, I know there's a U20 podcast that just came out on WFI that I'm sure you'd like to encourage them to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of enthusiastic celebration of uh, of an Ecuador side, uh, a lot of angry condemnation of a Brazilian side, and a bit of a bit of a bit of sadness for uh, for an impressive but a collapsing Venezuelan side late on in the tournament. So lots and lots of narratives and players to pick out from that one. Go check it out on Twitter. I'm at Simon Edwards SAF. I want to go and get out there and report on some cycling because Austin's won me over. And I'm going to embrace the, the wonders of bicycle riding. Uh, as my girlfriend, my girlfriend was there all day. She was loving it. She said it's amazing. So maybe I'll go check it out. And Adam, you on social media? Yeah, you can find me at AdamBrandon84. I encourage our listeners to check out the Under-20 South American Championship Review Pod that was released this week, if, if they haven't already. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully I shall be providing some content for World Football Index site over the next couple of weeks as well on that same subject. But, uh, yeah, depends on my time, my precious time. And, Adam, your time is, is filled ever more by the week with Norwich making a run not only towards promotion but also a title, correct? Indeed, indeed. That kept me away from the Stadio Nacional for the, one of us, the, the chile Melgar game. And uh, I think Norwich did me a favour there, even if they did lose themselves. But... Um, yeah, that wasn't a game I would have wanted to spend my money watching. Finally, you can find me on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. As Adam and Simon said, check out that under 20 championship review podcast. Lots of good names in there for those of you who like scouting the young players. Plenty of good content as those four teams start looking towards Poland coming up this summer. That's all for this edition. Uh, thank you to you, the listeners, for choosing this podcast for your English language Copa Libertadores coverage. We'll be back next week with another episode. All that's left for me to say is thanks and goodbye.